Welcome to the Magnify podcast. Magnify is a platform at the intersection of faith, feminism, and fashion. During these episodes, we have conversations with dynamic individuals that we hope will leave you intrigued, inspired, and informed. In a world where it can often appear that molding ourselves to fit the status quo can help us to get ahead and not ruffle any feathers, what does it look like to bring our full selves to work and be confident in our identity? And when we do so, how can we be confident in using our voice to affect change? In this episode, I had the privilege of speaking to Lindsay Peoples-Wagner, the editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue and the youngest ever editor at Condé Nast. As a senior black woman in fashion, particularly against the backdrop of the societal unrest due to racial injustice we see in America, I spoke to Lindsay about her journey to get to this role and how she's using her voice and position of influence to bring about change, particularly for women coming up behind her. We also spoke about the importance of boundaries and not subscribing to a mindset of burnout, avoiding comparison and staying grounded even as your influence and role expands. I love being able to interview people of faith across industries, and it was a fascinating interview, so let's listen in. So the first question um, I love to start off with, um, to really get an idea of your vibe and the type of conversations you like to have. So if you could have dinner with four guests from any era, um, who would they be and why would you choose them? I mean, obviously Jesus, that would be enlightening. Um, I would add Michelle Obama, Beyonce, and Oprah. Amazing. I think there hasn't been one interview out of the like 25 we've done so far where people don't say Michelle Obama. So (laughs) I agree. Um, So what's a surprising or interesting fact about you? Ooh, I mean, I think most people are, I'm, I'm very um, vocal about like my background and where I come from, but I think most people are always really surprised um, of like how I ended up being an editor in chief and being in New York because I come from Wisconsin and the Midwest. And so um, it's obviously a very different life and I'm very, very open about, you know, not coming from the fashion industry and, you know, not coming from a wealthy family and having to really work my way up. And so I think a lot of people are always really not surprised in the sense of they didn't realize from my personality, but more so surprised at like that I've been able to stick to it this long and, um, you know, had the tenacity to stay at it this long um, and, and, and not quit and go back home, I think. And finally, um, with such a busy schedule, how do you switch off and relax? Oh, I mean, the do not disturb on the phone is is the best thing. I think um, setting boundaries with people is, is a big thing for me lately. Um, I've had to really learn how that is healthy for my own, you know, well-being and mental health, et cetera. Um, I think a lot of times, you know, in our culture, we really, especially I think in New York, we glorify and praise people who work long hours and, you know, work, work to the bone and, um, are constantly available and always emailing and on their phone. And I come from really a humble background and beginning and, you know, grew up, you know, having family dinners every weeknight and having conversations with my family all the time and not, you know, 
not being on Instagram every two seconds. And so (laughs) I think for me, you know, setting those boundaries of like when people can have access to me and like making sure that I'm not, you know, spending too much time scrolling and I'm actually spending time feeding my mind is, is always really important to me. Amazing. Um, So you've touched upon it a little bit, but I'd love to hear more about your childhood and I guess in particular, the values that were instilled in you that you feel have shaped who you are today. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of, um, when I think about my parents, it's like, I I can't believe that, um, that they did all the things that they did because you just, you don't realize it as a kid, how um, impactful, you know, your childhood is and how all these decisions that, you know, two people are making for your life affect the person that you're going to end up being. And a lot of, you know, what my childhood was, was, you know, so much love, but also so much communication and so much, um, just really allowing me to be who I want to be and allowing there to be exploration of that. Um, I always really loved, um, specifically in the conversation of faith, like I grew up in church and my dad was a pastor and, um, I always loved though that my parents never forced anything on me. I thought that I always, um, thought that was a really big deal. And I remember like being a teenager and realizing that my parents, let me discover things on my own. Obviously, like I had to, I had to go to church every Sunday and like I had to be part of certain things, but they really instilled it in me that, you know, my relationship with God was going to be my own relationship and they could never make that for me. And I really appreciate that even more as an adult, because I can't tell you how many other pastors, kids I've heard talk about, you know, their parents, forcing them, um, you know, to get saved or forcing them to get baptized or different things and just trying to force them to be somebody that they're not. And I really admire how my parents obviously gave me guidance and, and led me in a really great direction, but never, um, never tried to make me something that I'm not. And always really were vocal with me about, you know, if, if I'm going to have this, if I'm going to have a relationship with God, it has to be my own. If I'm going to, you know, do anything with, you know, my faith, it's, it's my faith. And that's going to be something that I have to work on and cultivate. And that, you know, I remember my mom used to say to me, like, I can, you know, I can pray for you and I, I will always pray for you and I will always keep you in my prayers, but like, I can't talk to God for you. And I, I, never realized, you know, the full extent of what she meant until I got older, because I think that you just take it for granted kind of when you grow up in church and around that environment. But um, it it definitely has had a long lasting impact on my life. Amazing. I love that because, yeah, I grew up in church. My parents were heavily involved in church. And I always say that is like the greatest gift they gave to me and my brother was that they never forced it upon us, that we obviously saw their lives and saw that it was a personal decision um, that they made, but they were always adamant that they couldn't make that decision for us. Um, So kind of moving on then into fashion and how you got into fashion. Um, How did you get into fashion, obviously, from where you grew up? But I'd also love to hear what it was like when you got the call to be the editor of Teen Vogue, whether kind of this role was something that you ever imagined that you would have? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of my journey has just been hustle and and honestly just got aligning things for me that I didn't even see for myself. I think a lot of my journey in fashion has been, you know, stepping out on faith of opportunities that 
I had really no idea. Like, you know, growing up in Wisconsin, there is no, there, there are no people that like work in fashion. Like there aren't like, oh, this person, you know, works at Ralph Lauren. If you could talk to them, like there isn't any like connections at all. Um, and I remember, you know, the biggest aspiration that I had for myself was that I wanted to own my own boutique in Wisconsin. And that was like the biggest thing that I, the biggest dream that I had. And I was like, if I can just do that, like, I'll be like, I'll be set. That'll be great. Um, and that's, you know, that's how, that's how funny God is because I mean, you make plans for yourself and he's like, no, actually not that. Um, and I think a lot of my journey was a lot of trial and error of so many different things of figuring out kind of where I really wanted to be to make the most impact. I I definitely always felt like fashion needed to be more inclusive um, specifically being at magazines and working in an editorial setting, you know, really affects the way that people make, make decisions on, you know, we make decisions on who we think is cool and who we think is worthy. And we make those decisions, you know, affect so many other things that people are doing in their lives, whether it's their career trajectory or, you know, who we put on these platforms, who we think is worthy enough. And so I think a lot of my journey has really been like, how do I affect the most change in these industries? And, um, after I'd written this article um, about being Black in fashion at New York Magazine, I really was like, you know, I I know what I really want to do and the impact that I have in the industry. And I'm just like hoping that there's a position that really allows me to do that. And I'd really been, I'd really been like struggling and toiling over that. And um, that Friday, I think the piece came out a Wednesday and that Friday, um, I had an email from Anna and she was saying that she wanted to meet with me on Monday and I interviewed with her and probably a month later I started. Wow. What was that like? Cause obviously you've glossed over that, but what was that feeling like if you can even put it into words? I mean, it's, it's unreal, but it also is one of those so unreal that you're like, let me not psych myself out that the, like anything is going to really happen from this because it is such a, a big deal. And I, and I remember so many people um, that I had, you know, confidentially reached out to as far as like, you know, can you give me some pointers or some tips of like, you know, what I should talk about, et cetera. And I was like so nervous because people gave me, you know, so much different advice, which you should never do. And I won't do that again. Um, <laughs> but I think that um, it definitely, it was, is one of those unreal experiences because I remember before I walked in, just like this wave of calm came over me. And I said to myself, like, you know what, I'm just going to be myself. I'm going to talk about my ideas and the things that I want to do and the things that I'm really passionate about. I'm not concerned with being palatable for a certain kind of person. Like if they hire me, then that's great because then they'll know what they're getting. And I don't want to get this job if it isn't the job for me. So speaking of that, then how important and how easy have you found it to bring your full authentic self into your work? And has that been a journey for you? Because, yeah, I know like kind of starting off myself that when you look around often and there's not that many people who look like you, um, it's easier said than done to feel like you can fully show up as yourself. But what has that journey been like for you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's always a trade-off of things. I think um, I always am, you know, asking myself, like, what situations are worth me putting my feet to the fire on? What situations, you know, do I need to wait and wait for the right time? I think 
a lot of the issues come about for me because I'm so passionate about this work and making these changes and I'm emotionally attached to this work, right? So it's like, it's not the kind of job where I'm just like clock in, clock out, I'm done. I have no feelings about any of this. I'm just here to get a check. Like the, this job is the opposite of that. And <laughs> I that when you are so deeply ingrained in the work as I am, and it's really part of who you are, I think it can be hard to, um, it can be really frustrating and it can be hard because you want to make all these changes and you want to do all these things. And obviously, you know, timing is everything. So a lot of it is me honestly trying to be patient, but also really being confident in the things that I'm working on and not getting deterred by people being intimidated by me or feeling some type of way because I'm a powerful black woman. Wow. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about Black in um, Fashion Council and how that came about and just how you particularly, I guess I'd love to hear your perspective on everything that's going on in the world um, as a Black woman in fashion, how you're trying to use your position of influence to really bring about long lasting change. Yeah, I mean, Black in Fashion really came about because I think that we really just wanted to, a lot of us, you know, wanted to strategize on like what is really next so that we can actually see change in this industry. I think a lot of my frustrations have come about because, you know, once I wrote the Black and Fashion piece for New York Magazine, you know, it's almost been two years now. And I think that in those two years, it's like, there's been a lot of advancements and I think that we've made a lot of improvements, but not as much as I would have hoped for. And I think that's, really true for most Black people and people of color in the industry. We've (laughs) definitely been hoping for a lot more change a lot quicker, right? And I think that, um, you know, it really came about because it was like, we've done, we've been vocal about this. We've laid it out on the table how we're feeling. We've laid it out on the table the ways in which we want the industry to improve. And people have not really taken it seriously. And so Black and Fashion Council really came about because there was definitely a need to strategize on a way forward that actually required accountability and transparency from people and not just, okay, yeah, we got it. Okay, we'll do this one post on Instagram or okay, we'll do this quote or okay, we'll be part of this, you know, one Black designer initiative and then we won't do anything for the rest of the year. It really is requiring people to understand that this isn't a moment and this is a movement that you really need to get on board with and commit to long-term sustainable change. Wow. Um, so I want to ask about how, um, as a leader, you've managed to be sensitive to the times and the content that Teen Vogue delivers, whilst also remaining core to, I guess, the fashion roots of the publication. How have you kind of straddled that balance? I think for me, that was one of the big things that I actually changed from starting in this role, because I think like old magazine thinking is to say that like, okay, you know, if we're going to do a fashion magazine, it has to talk to this specific audience and this is what she is interested in. And these are the only brands that she would buy. And I just think that, I mean, people aren't linear. We're multifaceted human beings. And especially in today's day and age and culture, it's like you, you are allowed to like and be interested in as many different things and random things as you would like to be. And I think, I mean, most of us now, it's like, did we think we would be spending time on TikTok watching people? (laughs) Probably not, but like, it's interesting. And I think that you can be someone who's really interested in fashion, but also really interested in the world and making sure that people get out and vote this election. Like, I think that 
you don't have to choose between both. And I think that that's been my perspective from the get-go of, you know, we're not just a fashion magazine. We're not just a politics magazine. We're just for young people and culturally relevant readers who want to care about the world and want to read about the world and get some tools and resources and knowledge to, you know, to make better decisions and to affect change in the world. That's really all it's about. It's not really about putting people into these certain boxes. Wow, I love that. Um, so often I've seen that when people get into certain positions, they don't want to ruffle feathers, um, but you've never shied away from this. What has given you the confidence to do so? And I guess, have you ever felt fear um, for speaking up? Yeah, I mean, I feel fear. I'm human. I think that a lot of it, though, is... A lot of it for me is honestly because I've had to work so hard and I've had to do so much and, and, you know, work so many different jobs that to me, it was like, if I'm not affecting change and I'm not really doing what I need to do in this industry, then I don't need to be here. You know, I just think it's different when your position is, when your position in the industry is of, you know, I'm in it for the free clothes or I'm in it because I want to go travel to these places or I'm in it because I want to go to these events or whatever. Like, if you were in it for other reasons, I think your motivations are very different or whereas mine is like really sustained and really being transparent about the changes that I want to make in this industry and wanting to be a ladder and pull people up and make this industry a better place for young black girls who want to be part of this. And I think that um, when your motivation is that it's like, I do fear uh, I do feel fearful, but I also feel like if I don't do this work, who else is going to do it? Wow. Um, so as a Black woman in fashion, I guess I'm always conscious, even when I think of like my experience with other Black women, to not always think about like the problems that I've encountered, but it is a reality. So I guess what um, challenges have you faced, do you think, because of your race um, and maybe perhaps gender and race and how have you overcome them, but also what hopes you have for other Black women coming up after you? I mean, I think one of the biggest things is that I, I want people to really understand that as women of color, like we really have to do the work to support each other. I think that um, there's always going to, you know, there's always going to be some type of racism, elitism, classism situation in fashion. Like fashion is literally survived off of the foundation of those things. But I think one of the things that I really feel like we can readily change that wouldn't take forever is us as women of color and specifically black women being more supportive of each other and lifting each other up more because I do feel like, you know, there's been so many, so many women of color who have really thrived off of kind of being the only one in a lot of situations and, and that crabs in a bucket mentality of wanting to be that token person of color in situations. And I think on the flip side, um, you know, obviously that doesn't help the pipeline, but also for someone like me, it's actually really lonely because I don't have a ton of people who've been in this kind of role to look to and to ask, you know, questions to. And I think that um, there's, there's just so many things at play, but making, making those changes and being supportive of one another, I think is a really big thing. Wow, I love that. 
Um, so I want to talk about identity and something you said at the beginning really struck me and you was talking about um, just the importance of boundaries and not kind of playing into this mentality of like, I just work all the time. And I don't have time for myself. Um, given you're in the position that you are, have you ever felt a pressure to kind of overwork in order to maintain that? Oh, absolutely. I think people will try to guilt you, but I honestly, I think, you know, the older that I get, the more I tell myself that I have to be, I have to, when I get, you know, um, a gut feeling about something that should be enough for me to be convicted about it and just stand with it. Because a lot of times I will, you know, I will definitely, um, I think be too nice about the boundaries. And I think a lot of it has honestly been my husband recommending it to me or my therapist saying to me, like, you know, you've been talking about this, you definitely just need to make a move on it because, um, I think especially in New York, like people really respect you more if you're exhausted all the time and <laughs> if you're um, over it in general. And I just don't think that that's the life that I'm called to lead. Like, obviously, I is, I work a ton. I work a lot, but I also really care about my family and my own life. And I think that it's not really necessarily about having this like perfect balance of always doing it right. Like there's definitely times where I'm, you know, their past couple of weeks, like I've been working a ton on Black and Fashion Council because we just launched, um, you know, calls day and night, working till midnight every single night. But it is more so to me about that harmonious balance because right after we launched, I was like, okay, I need to take some time. I'm really exhausted. Like I'm not just going to keep going, 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 going. I think you have to have that conviction and also have the strength to tell, I think a lot of the people around you, like, look, you know what? My bandwidth is X, Y, and Z. My boundaries are X, Y, and Z. Um, I remember a couple of years ago, my husband had told me to stop making plans on the weekends. Cause he was like, I just feel like you're like so stressed out because you're always, I mean, obviously pre pandemic, but like, I was always like going to different events for work you know, whether it be a show or somebody opened a store or somebody has a new line. And then it, you know, obviously then you just see your friends and it was just like every night I just felt like I'm so tired. I'm crabby. Like I, you know, especially when you work in fashion, like you, you have to dress a certain way when you go to all these things and you know, your picture is going to be taken. I mean, I'm exhausted talking about it. I can't doing this, right? So I think, um, you know, and then I stopped really making necessarily plans on the weekends. Like, obviously, if it was like my best friend's birthday or something like, yeah, go. But like, I, I didn't basically like make any commitments on the weekends. And that was a huge shift for me because I was like, wait, I can actually relax and do what I want to do. And if I feel like getting a facial, like I can. If I just want to watch Law and Order all day, I can. Like, I, I find it, it's crazy as an adult when you kind of like put these own... Um, preconceived notions on yourself and then you realize like oh wait like I have the freedom to not do these things like I'm just kind of being peer pressured as an adult to to be part of all these things and it I always thought like I would miss out like I was like oh you know everybody else is like going to this place for brunch or they're doing this and that and I literally have zero cares about it um and even now, like I started to um, delete social media off my phone. Off wow. the week. You have to set those boundaries for yourself because you just start to 
you just start to feed your mind in a crazy way of like what you think you should be doing and, oh, you're not doing enough or, oh, you're not good enough and all these other things. And it's just a toxic cycle. So I think that's the boundaries I've set with other people, but also with myself, I think have been helpful. Wow. So you've spoken a lot about mindset and kind of like you, I, I therapy has like really changed my life and just having that kind of safe space. What things have you done to make sure that you're, you've got the right mindset and stay grounded? I think it's a lot of different things. Um, you know, I, I think like making sure to have my, my quiet time, you know, doing guided prayer, like making sure that I'm having time just to journal and, you know, I making sure like, I go to therapy that I'm, you know, I I think it's a a multi-level strategy to make sure that like I'm good on all fronts because it's a lot coming at me all the time. And I think that, um, you know, people, people forget that even in these kinds of positions, you're just a human being. And I have a bandwidth. I have, you know, a, a, a limit to what I can take. And I think especially in this pandemic, it's been really eye-opening to me that, you know, people have been just pressing so much, you know, productivity and do this and do that and do that. And it's like, you know, you have to do what really feels right for you, your mental state, your body, <laughs> you, you know, where you're at personally in your life. And I really try to be mindful of that. And I think, my biggest thing is always that I want to move with intention. I'm not just trying to make moves. I don't like, I don't need to like announce that I'm working on all these different things on social media for them to be real. Like (laughs) people didn't even know that I was working on black and fashion until it was announced. Like, it's just like, I don't, you know, I I believe in then moving in silence and also just having things for yourself um, to be more mindful and to be more intentional so that, you know, when you are moving, it feels right to you and not like it's validated by other people's opinions. Wow. Um, So what does it mean to you to, I guess, trust the timing and process of your life? Because even how you said that the, the way the job came about, it's not like you were kind of expecting that or working to get into that position. So what does, yeah, trusting the process mean for you? I think it just means, honestly, um, really believing in that saying, like, what's for me is for me. And I think that a lot of it is, you know, the comparison phenomenon on social media, because comparison really does just steal your joy. And it really, you know, on social media makes you feel like, oh, like, I wish I would have gotten that opportunity or, oh, that's a cool thing. Like, I should like, why didn't they think of me or whatever? And I think it just, it robs you of the joy and gratitude of like where you currently are. And I think that a lot of times, um, what I caught myself doing, you know, and what I had to really teach myself not to do was like fantasizing, well, if this happens then everything's going to be great. Like if I get this job or if I, you know, make this amount of money or if I do this or that, like, then I'll be great. And it's like, that's not, it's just not a healthy mindset, but it's also not real. There is no perfect scenario of, you know, two plus two always equaling four in life. And so I think that um, it's really important for me to stay true to myself and like my intention and my purpose in life and my path and like what I'm doing. And, you know, when the doors are supposed to open specifically for Lindsay Peoples Wagner, they will. And if, you know, they don't at that time, then you don't want it because it wasn't for you. Um, What have been some of the highlights in your journey to date? Um, Yeah, I guess your career journey to date. 
Um, I don't really have anything specific. I, I think, I mean, I'm a, I, most people, I think, assume that I would say this job, but I think it is more so the moments that I've just been vocal and stood up for things that I really wanted to do, whether it be in a role or in the industry. I think any time where you are, you know, the only the only woman, the only black woman, and you're the youngest person in the room, it's a lot harder than people think to say what you mean and to stand on that and to be the only one in that opinion. And so I, I think that that's honestly been the great moments for me overall, because I think it just takes a lot of courage. Um, and I think a lot of people don't really understand when they haven't been in those positions, how much courage it takes and how fearful you can be in the moment, but really grateful that you did it and, and walked with some integrity. In an industry, not just like fashion, I think this happens in a lot of industries where people, um, I guess they respond to you based on like the profile, the level of success they think that you have. Um, How have you managed to stay so grounded and not be defined by what you do or how people perceive you? Because I'm sure even before you got this job, the way that people treated you to how they do now in some circles might have changed. But yeah, I guess, how do you not let your identity be defined by what you do? Um, I think it's, it's just consciously kind of part of how I was raised, honestly. I mean, I think that my parents have always raised me to be confident, but humble. And I think that a lot of it is not coming from this arrogant standpoint of I have this title or I know this person or I'm able to do X, Y, and Z. I think my, my purpose and intention in fashion has always been very clear. Um, so I think, for me, it's been, you know, staying focused on that and not getting bogged down in the minutiae and the politics and, and the craziness of fashion and just focusing on that. Um, and that, I think, has just kept me and my identity sane. Um, I also just think, like, not, you know, surrounding yourself with people who don't just work in fashion. Um, anyone that I've met, if they only hang around fashion people, it's not good. Like, I just think that you can have such a warped view about things and, and, and even say little things. Like I joke, like, you know, when you talk to fashion people about, oh, you know, I think I'm going to get this top, you know, it's only $3,000 when I get a discount. <laughs> like the way that we even say things is crazy to other people because they're like, you're doing what? <laughs> what? Like, why? Like, what is this? Um, and you need that sense of reality and your life for sure. And you need different opinions and voices. And I think a lot of times, um, especially in leadership roles or when you have a platform, uh, people like to just kind of surround themselves with yes, people who kind of do the same things and have the same status as them or the same amount of wealth or whatever it is. And I just think it's a really unhealthy way to live because you just start to have this warped view of of what life is actually really like and I think it has definitely kept me grounded that you know I I do have friends in fashion but you know a lot of my really close friends and all of my family like are just amazing normal people and and I think that's really important Amazing. Um, so I wanted to ask how your faith in this season um, gives you hope, um, because I know for me, like, obviously it's different in America to the UK, but we still have our many, many issues with the race. The last few months have just felt so exhausting. Um, obviously, we're at the backdrop of a pandemic, but it's felt sometimes that 
a lot of people have woken up to the fact that racism exists. And even in our 30s, we know that we've dealt with this and our parents have dealt with this for life. So um, if it does, how does your faith give you hope that change and like people can actually change and their hearts can change given everything that's happening? Yeah, I mean, I I think it, it's, it's so crazy because... Um, it's been literally exhausting is, is such the correct <laughs> terminology. I think it's been such an exhausting time um, for everyone, but I, I really have been, you know, saying a lot of different mantras to myself to just try to encourage myself. And um, I listen to um, Stephen Furtick a lot from Elevation and I love a lot of the the different sayings that, he's that he's been preaching about like I, I think like a, at the start of this he had like a whole sermon about life is hard but God is good and just you know how we kind of expect um our you know our relationship with God to just give us a little bit more smooth sailing and how that has never been promised to us but obviously promised that you know he'll always be with us and I think you know, I've been I've been saying that to myself so many times throughout the past couple months, and even this past Sunday, he was preaching about you know just because you don't see God doesn't mean He doesn't see you, and I thought that was so profound because I think a lot of times during this pandemic, I've been like, God, where are you? Like, what could be more important than what is going on here? And just feeling you know really frustrated, and I've always. I, I've always just talked to God, obviously, with respect and 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 um, in honor of who He is, but also just talk to Him as if He is my father and my friend. And so I I talk to God and say, you know, I'm I'm really frustrated right now. Like I don't I don't know what you're doing. I don't know where you are. I, I feel like I can't see you right now. I feel like this is you know all of this is happening, and I don't I don't know where your hand is in it. But um, I think it you know it is really it's really important time to just continuously to spend time in the word and to have those, you know, have those verses, have those sayings of just because you don't see God doesn't mean he doesn't see you and tell yourself because it can be so exhausting and feels like it's never ending. But, you know, we know there's a time and a season for everything. Wow. Thank you so much, Lindsay. I've really, really loved chatting to you and I'm really excited to share this. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you know anyone who might benefit from this, go ahead and share this with them. Also, don't forget to rate and review. It really helps us out. See you next time.